It's time to talk sports. It's Hacksaw's Headlines. A panorama of the world of sports. Stories, comments, and opinions. Now, here's iconic sports talk show host Lee Hacksaw Hamilton and co-host John Riley. Who wants to talk sports? We do. From the Dixie Line Lumber and Home Center Studios in San Diego, we welcome you to our Tuesday bonus podcast, Hacksaw's Headlines. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, along with my co-host, the irreverent out in left field, John Riley. And we welcome you coming off Wild Card Weekend. A ton of topics on the table. We're going to get to a lot of different things to discuss. Our podcast Brought to you by Dixie Line Lumber and Home Centers. Dixie Line, your best friend when it comes to windows and doors to combat the winter weather. And by North County Eye Centers of Poway and Escondido, complete eye health care provided daily. John Riley, good afternoon. Wow, have we got a lot to talk about. Wild card weekend, some good, some bad. Wow. Yeah, a lot there. And we have the six games to break down, plus a lot of other stuff here. So a lot to talk about today. Business item first. Uh, Remind everybody who's joining us now on our live stream what we do at the end of each of our podcasts. We have the fans join us as co-hosts. We call it Fans Forum. You describe it. Escondido, Encinitas, <laughs> let the, light up those lines. So this is your chance to get involved. If you have a question or comment for Hacksaw, type in your, your comments in the live chat, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter. We'll see it on the screen. We'll get you involved in Fans Forum. And a reminder, we've started something new. We're rolling out some unique things for 2024. It's called Hacksaw's Insiders Group, the best way for you to stay in touch with the sports world. John, how do they join the Insiders team? Yeah, just go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com. In the upper right corner is an orange box. Fill in your name and email, and you'll get on our list. You know, we send out the best 15 minutes just about every day. I think Hacksaw does it, what, five times a week? Uh, it's great content that people really enjoy. We get some feedback from some of our, our listeners and people on the email list. They're digging it, so you can get it as well, and it's absolutely free. And, of course, the Insiders group, as we plan other things, We'll alert you in advance what we have scheduled. Also want to remind you, you like sports, I write every day on my website. That's the address, LeeHacksawHamilton.com. You give me five minutes, I will give you the world. John, let's talk NFL football out of the gate. Yeah, so Dallas choked again. Here we go. The demise of the Dallas Cowboys. End of season end of coaching era for Mike McCarthy, Jerry Jones Super Bowl drought now goes all the way back to 1988. And I thought this team was good enough to maybe be in the NFC championship game. And then who you know where it goes from that point on. Big decisions coming in the big D. Jordan Love completes an unbelievable season for the Green Bay Packers. 272 yards, three touchdown passes, laser-sharp 
passes in the Green Bay win in Dallas. Aaron Jones ran for a buck 15, kept busting tackles. Romeo Dalbs, the kid that played at Nevada, Reno out here on the Mountain West, went off for six receptions for 151 yards. Packer wide receivers are running open. The tackling was deplorable. Dak Prescott, who I thought for a large chunk of the second half of the season played like an MVP guy, he was way off target. There just was no rhythm to what he was doing. And C.D. Lamb, the star wide receiver, got psyched out. He got (laughs) knocked off routes. He He got distracted. He didn't do anything until the game became a blowout. And then they started to get him the ball. He started to play like the guy we saw for much of the season. Got 165 passes this season, but when they needed him the most, he was arguing with officials, he was yapping at defensive backs, he was getting knocked off routes, he was getting jammed at the line of scrimmage. So what does Dallas do? Mike McCarthy is 42-25 and as a head coach, but he's only got one playoff win in four years in Dallas. He's had three 12-win seasons, have won the NFC East twice, which has perennially been a pretty tough decision. So what is Jerry going to do? Because Belichick is out there, Harbaugh is out there. So your reaction to the game, your reaction, what is the next step forward the Dallas Cowboys do? Well, remember we talked about this, and I asked you, Lee, is there any chance the Packers could win? And you're like, well, if there's injuries. But none of us expected this this lopsided blowout in Big D. Jerry Jones, disappointed. You know he's got a quick trigger. He's going to... I think he's going to eliminate McCarthy. And, and you get a guy in there like Belichick that can smack the boys around and get him in line. Belichick knows how to win. That might be a really good fit. I was rocked with how poorly Dallas played, considering how well Dallas played from the middle of the season on. They were dominant on offense, very explosive. They played pretty well statistically on defense. That did not look like the same type of team. And this is young quarterback, Jordan Love. This is three young wide receivers and a young tight end. You'd think they'd be intimidated by Mm 106,000 at Jerry's World and that stadium. And they came out firing. Jordan Love has just... He's exceeded my expectations. Hell, I think he's exceeded the world's expectations. Oh, he, amazing how well he how well he did, and just some of the throws were just remarkable. And think about that: go from Favre to Rogers to Love. I mean, what a run for the Packers! But can you explain why the Cowboys continuously choke all the time? What's is there something going on there? I, the pressure must be unbearable in Dallas. Of course, everything in Texas is bigger. <laughs> The pressure must be unbearable. But I just don't understand how they could play so well for a large chunk of the season and have this thing just dissolve right in front of them. I mean, Dak Prescott looks so out of sync. It was ridiculous. And and Green Bay just played on the edge defensively. And when we talked and did our preview at the end of last week, John, you know, I, I made a comment about Green Bay doesn't get takeaways. Green Bay's given up 344 yards per game and given up a lot of scores. And Love is saving them because Love is making them shootout games. I never thought that Green Bay could put the lid on the Cowboys. And it wasn't until it got to be blowout time that suddenly Dallas kind of found it. But they ran out of time. They ran out of (laughs) clock. They ran out of opportunities to score. Jerry Jones has been really patient with a lot of strange coaches. You know, Barry Switzer, 
for example, <laughs> went on and on and on. Barry won, yeah. He won a ring with Jimmy Johnson's guys that he left behind. They just haven't been a very consistent football program. Jerry has very, very patient with guys. Will he be patient with Mike McCarthy going forward? I say he probably stays the course one more year, John Riley says. I think McCarthy is gone, but I wondered, is Dak Prescott kind of like a Clayton Kershaw where they seem to just fold in the postseason? Could well be. Could well be. Just wasn't the same team. Hard to believe. We go from that game to the next game. Okay, let's talk Chiefs-Dolphins. This was in the freezer. Well, I projected this because I think the burning question I left you with on last Thursday's podcast is, ain't no sunshine there, pal. Tua going to be able to throw the football in the snow and the cold? Really struggle. And I think the other, other phrase I used going in when we did the preview, who does Kansas City trust? You got Mahomes, you got Kelsey. Is there anybody else on that offense that you can trust? Well, he, he trusted the tight end who caught a bunch of passes, and he trusted the young wide receiver, Rushi Rice. He didn't throw to anybody else. And then Pacheco did grind and bang for some yards once once they got the lead. Uh, Mahomes played on the edge. I mean, he was sharp. Didn't look like the weather impacted him. He did not look like he was distracted. Did not look like he was worried that he was going to get sacked or guys are going to drop balls. He just focused on two receivers and he threw for 262 in monstrously bad weather. Rashi Rice, that kid has taken a huge jump. If you go back and track from about week seven of the season, this kid has started to play with great confidence. Eight catches, 130. Kelsey, when he wasn't looking at Taylor Swift, had seven (laughs) catches for 71. Those are the guys you could trust. Tua, they didn't get any rhythm whatsoever. And again, their whole thing is they got to throw the football, throw the football down the field. That was their identity. And in that wind, you can't throw deep. And then they couldn't protect him because Chris Jones and those guys were always in his face. He only wound up with 199 yards passing a chunk of that in garbage time. He had a pick. He had two sacks, nothing downfield. Tyree Kill, five catches. That's it. Amazing. Five catches for 51 yards. He couldn't get down the field deep, and they couldn't protect him deep. And even to got the ball off deep, the wind was doing this. <laughs> it, was. So it was really bad. It was an inglorious finish. Considering how Miami started, end of the day, it's obvious to me, not a cold weather team. Two has never won a game, and the temperature's been below 40. Mm. And that sucker was what? Four degrees? Something like yeah, that. Minus yeah, 27 wind chill? It was pretty bad. The other thing, I'm not going to say Miami's a fraud, but they were 1-6 and six against good teams this season. 1-6. and six. Mm-hmm. So, ain't no sunshine there, pal. Had to play in the snow. <laughs> they lost. John Riley says. Yeah, quoting Bill Withers there, with yeah. they ain't no sunshine. Um, but you know, we kind of knew the Chiefs were going to win, and they did. But the Chiefs had kind of a weird season. They weren't like a 14-2 and two kind of a team, you know, um, or 15-2. and two. It's a well, 17 They led the world in drops. They led the world in offensive penalties. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, all the sacks and then all the bleeping turnovers the first two-thirds of the season because they were trying to integrate young guys that weren't ready to play. Well, do you think maybe the Chiefs have figured it out and they could go on a run and maybe win another Super Bowl? Dude, they got to go to Buffalo. <laughs> Mahomes has never played a playoff game on the road. Outside the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. I'm talking about a playoff game on the road. That's incredible. And it's going to be in Buffalo. Hmm. So 
We'll, we'll be talking about that on Thursday when we do our preview. We move on. Next game. Lions-Rams. This was a classic one. Oh, great game. Good headline. Shame someone had to lose. Big time. Because those guys really played well. The gunslingers. Matthew, Stafford, Jared, Goff. Big plays down the field. Goff winds up throwing for 277 and a touchdown. Amir St. Brown, seven catches, 110. He's one of the best receivers in a league that nobody pays any national attention to. Matthew Stafford, what a warrior. 367 yards passing, two touchdowns. Puka Nakua, you know he's going to run routes. You know he's tough to tackle. You're going to defend him. He still caught nine for 181. And how about Stafford being the guy? He got a gash on his throwing hand. It was huge over the top of the knuckle. Mm. And a Taped an aspirin to it, put a Band-Aid on it, <laughs> and he went out and threw for 367. Then he took a wicked hit in the head, Took actually took two helmet shots almost simultaneously, came out one play, went back in. Cooper Cup was banged up. It was terrible at the end. Tyler Higby suffered a hyperextended knee, which resulted in a torn knee ligament. He's going to be gone uh, going forward into next season. I'll tell you what, though. The Rams answered every challenge the Detroit threw at them and hung in there almost right to the bitter finish. Uh, what a great job by Sean McVay to rebuild L.A. Rams football. Unbelievable job by Dan Campbell. They've been building a sucker for three years, and they win the playoff game. First first home playoff game in 30 years, and they win a playoff game, and now they get a second home playoff game. And these guys, I think <coughs> my favorite phrase is Detroit collectively is playing better than any of them can individually. Because hmm. not a lot of superstars on that team, mm-hmm. but that unit, what a job he's done. Your thoughts, Stafford, your thoughts, McVeigh, your thoughts, all things, the Motor City. Well, I thought the Rams played better than I expected them to. I thought the Lions would win by at least a touchdown. Um, and Puka Nakua, I'll tell you what, that kid is really special. I mean, they got a great receiver there. But I am just so happy for Lions fans yeah. who've been going through misery for decades. And you saw that one guy in the stands, a season ticket holder that's been around forever. They're finally getting some you know, joy in Detroit. And I love the uh, post-game in the locker speech by Dan Campbell. You know, kind of praising the GM, telling them that Jared Goff is good enough for Detroit. I mean, it just was a great story. And then they get to host another game. And I think this is a team that you really want to see have success. They flip the coin on the other side. What did you think about what, how McVay accomplished what McVay accomplished? It, well, you said it was like he maybe four wins this season is what you were predicting. Everyone besides Aaron Donald and Matthew Stafford were going to have name tags and you know, these dudes stepped up, you know, so the the Rams played so much better than I, I gave them credit for. But, you know, I had a bet with my buddy Dennis over at the Post-Atlantics and we t- I took the Lions. He took the Rams and I won 10 bucks on the deal. But I thought I was going to win in a walk and it got close at the end. It was a hell of a game. It really was. OK, we go from that to another game. And I use the word on this one. Go ahead. Flash it up there. <laughs> there it is. Browns. Texans. I said if there was a potential for an upset anywhere on the NFL roadmap wildcard weekend, Mm. it would be in Houston. And look what happened. The Texans. I hate to say I told you so, but I told you so. (laughs) 
C.J. Stroud against a really good Jim Schwartz defense was not phased, was not intimidated, was not rattled. Throws for 274 and three touchdowns. Joe Flacco, through the first three quarters of the game, played like a fourth-string quarterback. Yeah. He was the fourth quarterback the Browns used this season. It kind of kind of overran him. He did finish with 307, a touchdown, two picks. He's immobile on the pocket, <coughs> took four sacks. Browns just wilted. They had so many injuries. They just it, it got it got to that playoff game and all the injuries on the back end were just revealed cuz they just could not compete against Nico Collins and all the other guys that CJ Stroud had there. Had it been the Browns in full health, might have been a different game. Uh, had it been in Cleveland, might have been a different game. Sucker was in Houston. And D'Amico Ryans just continues to win in this, what was supposed to be a rebuild year. They've won 11 games this season, and they're playing next weekend. Can you believe that? It's incredible. I mean, imagine if you are the you know the the Carolina Panthers. Would you want a do over on the NFL draft? Because you know we thought you know Bryce Young going away was the number one guy, but C.J. Stroud has completely outplayed him. Spectacular rookie season. Now they start playing real people this weekend. <laughs> yeah, so be it. We go on to what we saw in the snow in the cold. Uh, my old favorite phrase, broadcasting Chargers football was. Ticket in your left hand, transistor radio in your right hand. <laughs> yeah. In Buffalo, ticket in your left hand, did you bring a snow shovel? Yeah, I mean, and they like, had to so dig much, out. I mean, it was unbelievable it was the amount so much of snow. It was fun to see the fans. Yeah. Oh, those drunk Steeler fans <laughs> sitting there. The snow is up to their waist, sitting in the snow, taking their beer, their beers, plural, yeah. and planting them to keep them cold yeah. in the snow drift in the unused seat right in front of them. That's a good idea. It was pretty cool. <laughs> Too much cold weather, too much Josh Allen. Great headline there, John. Allen throws, Allen run, Allen leads Buffalo to a win. I thought it was going to be a lopsided game. It was a lopsided game. 277 all-purpose yards. He took part in four touchdowns, including the 52-yard touchdown run. Shake, bake, deke, step away, and go the distance for a score. He was, he was pretty impressive. And defensively, interception in the end zone, fumble recovery in at the Pittsburgh 18-yard line. Mason Rudolph was running uphill all day. Didn't have an awful lot of help. He threw for 229 and a couple of touchdowns. I, I, I think one of the real surprising things was what was happening uh, to Charles Pickens. It was like the moment was too big. The rookie wide receiver or second-year wide receiver, he just seemed to be psyched out. He was psyched out by the banging of the Bills' defensive backs. He was distracted, dropping balls, giving up on routes. Barking at the officials. He, by the way, he's going to get fined because right after the game, he said it's pretty tough to win in Buffalo against the Bills, the weatherman, and their referees. <laughs> so he's probably going to get dinged there. But you know what? The the Bills overcame a ton of injuries uh, the first half of the season. Now, with the exception of Matt Milano, they got most of those guys back. But when you lose Matt Milano and they lost Trey White, who had been slow to recover from offseason surgery on the back end. That's hard to overcome losses of real key component guys. And Joe Brady, the play caller who replaced the fired Ken Dorsey as coordinator, 
Tell you what, he molded everything, and they, for the most part, controlled Josh Allen for making really bonehead decisions when he was under pressure. So I felt bad for Mike Tomlin, but they pushed that boulder up the hill as far as they could, and then they ran into a great team that blew him out. I guess we'll wait and see whether Tomlin wants to do this one more year or whether he's actually going to step aside because he got up and he walked out of his press conference with the first question asked, what's your future? So thoughts on the Bills, thoughts on the Steelers. Well, wasn't it amazing in the first quarter, those touchdown passes that Allen threw? I mean, they were just like laser shots, perfect. Two, two tight ends. To, to both, yeah, to the two different tight ends. I mean, that was amazing, the way they got off to that fast start. Could this be the year for the Buffalo Bills? Do you think maybe they can get back to the Super Bowl? I mean, they got two big games ahead of them, but I think they could. They got a home game here. That's really impressive mm-hmm. against who? Yeah, Mahomes. Yeah. Kansas City. And that's never happened in postseason play. So uh, they're hitting on all cylinders. This coaching staff has kind of a good, done a good job patching it, fixing it, changing it a little bit. Next game, not a good job. No. And, and I thought the Eagles were going to recover here, but it was all Baker Mayfield. Uh, Tampa Bay lives to play another week. I don't know what the future is for the Philadelphia Eagles. There is so much unhappiness, so much heat. With an owner that doesn't have a big tolerance level, That that's a big issue, too, in Philadelphia. Baker Mayfield reinvents himself. Who could have seen this coming? You know, Cleveland kind of failed, went to the Rams, played five games in a crummy season there, goes to Tampa on a one-year, $4 million, low-budget contract. They give him the ball gets progressively better and better as the season goes on. They've been lucky. They've had no major injuries in their offensive front, which had been a real problem in Tampa, and they kept the two big receivers healthy, and then they found this young tight end, Cam Outen. Uh, Mayfield, 337 yards, three touchdowns in the win. Otten, 10 catches for 89 yards. The Bucks, I just think, had the attitude... We're going to lay it all out on the line. We're going to blitz the hell out of Jalen Hurts. And if he torches us, he torches us. Instead, they blitzed the hell out of Jalen Hurts and they disrupted the offense. Uh, they were, it was nonstop blitz packages and they were coming from everywhere. Um, two fourth down stops, a stop on a two-point conversion. The pressure was relentless. Hurts threw for 250 and two touchdowns, but a chunk of that was in garbage time. Devontae Smith put on a show by himself. Uh, eight catches, a buck forty-eight, but they they lost AJ Brown on the other side. Their tight ends were kind of negated, and the Eagles' pass defense was just deplorable. There were eight missed tackles on guys who were running wide open. Philadelphia was ten and one, lost six of their last seven. I think there's going to be a purge of the defensive staff sometime this week. Uh, because this head coach probably gets another year to rally this thing back. But how do you go from 10-1 and one to playing like this the last seven weeks of the season? And here's a sidebar comment. Who was the defensive coordinator play caller from the middle of the season on as it tried to fix the defense? Patricia. Matt Patricia. Where did Matt Patricia come from? New England. Okay. Another name off the Belichick staff, off the Belichick tree that has failed somewhere else. Ha. I mean, if you go through and you make a laundry list of coordinators and assistants that left New England, went other places, Patricia, Charlie Grow, and all failed, all <laughs> failed, it's absolutely amazing. So it shows the bleeping brilliance of, of Belichick because 
his assistants out on their own, the latest being Matt Patricia, no can do. Hmm. Well, I mean, just as an aside with Patricia, you ever notice how he always wears that like pencil sort of dangling out of his ear? See a lot of baseball coaches do that. It's a weird look. But at any rate, how could the Eagles collapse? We were singing the praises of Sirianni and their general manager. What's his name? Howie Rosen? Roseman. Roseman. Yeah, we thought they those guys were masterful in putting that team together, and they just took a total dump. And I, I still don't really understand it. And you could see the frustration on Jalen Hurts' face. And he had that one pass to one of his players who just dropped it, and he, he sort of rolled his eyes. They had to zoom in on the video. But, you know, you just got to love Baker Mayfield. The, the the Buccaneers fans, you see him with the Baker hats. Yeah. You know, that was kind of cool. So, uh, you know, we'll see how Tampa does. It's a, it's kind of a fun season for them. Yeah. Mayfield saved his career. He probably saved Todd Bowles' coaching career, too. Mm-hmm. They got 11 wins. Tampa. Yeah. Who with, with a street free agent quarterback, got 11 wins. Hey, our Thursday or Tuesday bonus <laughs> podcast is brought to you by North County Eye Center of Poway and Escondido. Comprehensive eye care, state-of-the-art eye technology, basic eye care to the special things you need done. This is who they are. North County Eye Center, Poway, Escondido. Have needs, have concerns about your eyes? Call North County Eye Center. And by Dixie Line Lumber and Home Center, it's winter time. Time to think about room temperature, heating bills, drafts. Time to think new windows, possibly new doors. Where? Dixie Line Lumber, nine locations, 100 years of experience in San Diego County. We go from NFL games. Hmm. We moved to college football on the coaching carousel. Yeah, there's been a lot of movement here between some of these teams in, in both conferences. It is hard to imagine when one domino falls, it hits another, and all these other ones are falling. Southeastern Conference raids the Pac-12, and the aftershocks are pretty important. Uh, I guess the, the headlines are Alabama, Washington, and Arizona. Alabama hires Kalen DeBoer. Unbelievable job he did with the Washington Huskies. Goes from a $4 million paycheck to a $12 million paycheck. And he did the $12 million buyout to leave UW. He said Tide Football's an institution. He had to take this job. Opportunity of a lifetime. He says, I respect the tradition of what Alabama football is. The Huskies, 24 hours after DeBoer leaves, hired Jed Fish. Miraculous turnaround job down in Tucson at the University of Arizona. He gets $8 million a year, was making in the threes at Arizona, goes to the Washington Huskies. And then Arizona, in a late-night raid, goes and gets Brent Brennan, head coach, San Jose State. Mm. What a turnaround job he did there with the Spartans. They were on their deathbed. There was rumors maybe they'd fold the football program. And he took them and flipped that thing into a 26-19 and 19 run the last two seasons were pretty impressive. So that's, that's the last of the big dominoes, we think, that have fallen. I don't know if there's another one coming. There are some rumblings out there, but that's pretty impressive what Bama did, how quickly Washington reacted, and Arizona doesn't get left at the gate. They get themselves a pretty good coach vis-a-vis San Jose State's head coach. 
Well, it was a no-brainer decision for Kalen DeBoer to go to Alabama. I mean, not tripling his salary. That you know, where do I sign? Right, fast track too yeah, in yeah. terms of accomplishment. Exactly that as well. He was at Fresno State not too long ago, or a Division what was it, Division Two? Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Yeah. So what a what a great story. But I wonder also if these ads at all these different universities they could see it coming. You know, Kalen DeBoer having this great season, and he you know, he could jump. They probably have a, a list on a whiteboard somewhere. Of Ready their, list. their names are they like to go to. Yeah. Now, getting them out of these contracts, that's another big issue mm-hmm. because name marquee coaches, unlike you and me, there are buyouts. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, we start talking about $12 million buyout to get DeBoer out of the University of Washington. Now, granted, the big cigars in Tuscaloosa write the check. Yeah. And the deal, deal gets done. But, uh, he did a great, great job. The fallout from a roster standpoint, though, is something you're going to have to pay attention to because I, th- I think there are at least, I want to say, four to five Huskies who have already jumped into the NFL draft, and there's a bunch more. If you lose your coach, there's a 30-day window at that specific school mm-hmm. for the transfer portal. So you can see, I bet there will be some Huskies are going to go to Alabama uh, maybe to join DeBoer. And the same thing has happened at Arizona with Jed Fish opting out real quick. There's a bunch of U of A players that have jumped into the transfer portal. They may have their mail sent to Seattle because they, they might go up the coast with him. Well, didn't DeBoer already take some of his assistant coaches with him? He took a few, but because he's from the other end of the planet, he's not an SEC dude. Mm. He's hiring assistants and coordinators from the Deep South. For recruiting purposes, too. Uh-huh. Okay. So we'll keep that in mind. He's uh, he's already hired an offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator. These guys were in the Deep South. So mm. and it'll be interesting to see how many of Saban's assistants he keeps there. But uh, fast track. Okay, one more college football story before we get to halftime. This is a bit complex. Get your calculator out, please, or pencil and paper. Yeah, I mean, look at this list here. There's a lot of data, a lot of money, a lot of, uh, a lot of interesting terms. Well, we reported about a month and a half ago that the Pac-2 Oregon State, Washington State, had solved their scheduling problems by a scheduling alliance with the Mountain West Conference. Now we're getting to the details the Pac-2 Cougars Beavers will pay $23 million over two years for the right to schedule six Mountain West teams each of the next two seasons. So that's money that goes into the Mountain West till mm-hmm. to be shared by everybody, $23 million total. There's also a $5 million fine. If Oregon State and Washington State wake up a year from now and say— we don't want to do this or wake up and have an offer from the Big 12 or the AAC. If they exit, they have to pay a $5 million fine to buy their way out of the scheduling alliance. There's also a price tag. If the Pac-2 wants to raid the Mountain West, if they want San Diego State, Boise State, Fresno State, and the other marquee programs— They're going to have to pay to get each school. And for every school they take, the price tag to buy that school out of the Mountain West to relocate them to the Pac-2, it starts at $10 million for the first school, $10.5 million for the second school, $11 million if you take the third school, goes all the way up to $12 million. If they were to take the top six from the Mountain West, it would cost Oregon State, Washington State, and the Pac-2 $2.5 
conference. It cost them $67 million. Now that $67 would go to the Mountain West. In addition, Mountain West, as part of this new deal, it's a 106-page document. I read part of it till I went blind. (laughs) A 106-page document. The exit fees for San Diego State, Boise State, whomever, would still stay in place. They would have to pay $16 million to opt out of the Mountain West to go to the Pac-2, and the Pac-2 would be paying the purchase fees mm-hmm. on, on top of the money the schools exiting would have to pay. It, I mean, it's an, an amazing amount of money. Now, there's all exceptions to anything. <laughs> Whether I like you or dislike you, there's always an exception. Here we go. If the Mountain West, if all 11 want to leave, all the fees go away. If the if Oregon State, Washington State come to agreement, we'll take all of you. Zero fees. The whole conference moves to the hmm. Pac-2. Okay. Or the conference can be dissolved. The Mountain West can fold. Not that they want to, but they can fold. If nine of the 12 teams vote to dissolve the Mountain West, story is over. Conference offices close, go dark. If nine of the 12 vote to dissolve, then they can go without any payments at all, without any exit fees, etc., and the Mountain West would disappear off the globe. So there's a lot of levels here as to what is going to happen. But they're locked in scheduling-wise 24 and 25. There's enormous amounts of money that would change hands if Oregon State, Washington State, and others start to show up and say, okay, we want San Diego State and Boise State and Fresno and whatever. Uh, It would leave behind a real mess. It would leave behind a terrible situation in Mexico, maybe even at the Air Force Academy. Uh, I don't know that the Pac-2 wants to take everybody, but now it's in place at least for the next two years if you want to leave. And John Riley says... This is really complicated. I mean, it's... You're the one who went to math class. Yeah. You know new math. I don't. Whatever happened to California and no-fault divorces, you know? We just split uh, 50-50. You know, if... It just seems so obvious that you just take the Pac-2 and the Mountain West and combine them. And sure, you know, some of the programs in the Mountain West aren't that sexy, but... You know, every conference has those that are down in the in the bottom. You know, you got the Vanderbilts and the SEC and, and the Rutgers. Yeah. So, you know, if you've got, you know, a Wyoming or a New Mexico and hey, Wyoming, by the way, has a quarterback in the final, you know, the, the divisional playoffs in the NFL. So just combine these two conferences, simplify it. And I think we're in better shape. OK, that's where we are. Hey, we get to halftime before we do any business. Reminder when we're done, John. Oh, we got people lining up here for, quote, fans form. Explain <laughs> to everybody on our live stream how they join us at the end of the podcast. Yeah, so you got a comment or a question about any of the topics on the table. Just drop your your, your question or comment in the live chat, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. I already see Manuel and George and John and Roberto and Steve and 4RXLA and Dale and Tom. So you got a question or comment, be sure to type it in. And a reminder, you like sports? Check my website. It's all written every day, LeeHacksawHamilton.com. And we're starting something new We want teammates at this table with us. It's called the Hacksaws Insiders Group. John, 
How does those on the live stream get the chance to join the Insiders team? Yeah, just go and sign up. Go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com, the orange box, put in your name and email, sign up, be part of Hacksaw's Insiders team. We've got a lot of great things planned in 2024. And a reminder, you like what we're doing? You owe us a thumbs up. You like what we're doing because John has no friends. Just give (laughs) us a five-star rating. So thanks for being with us. Our podcast brought to you by North County Eye Center of Poway and Escondido. From glasses to contact lenses, North County Eye Center is there to serve you. We all need help with our eyes as we get older. Cataracts to glaucoma to cornea surgeries, extensive screening programs for all ages, and unique state-of-the-art vision test. North County Eye Center, Poway Escondido. You need to talk to them. And our Tuesday podcast brought to you by Dixie Line Lumber and Home Centers. Winter is upon us. You notice how nippy it is outside? Do you notice how (laughs) nippy it can be inside? If you've got old windows in your home, in your apartment, and you want to make a change, you need Dixie Line Lumber. It's been cold. Winter's a great time to replace your doors and windows. Save money on energy. Eliminate those pesky drafts. Make your home comfortable, not just for winter, but also for summer. Get winter project savings at Dixie Line Lumber and Home Centers. Check out the great monthly ad promotions at DixieLine.com, including the Dixie Line gift card valued of up to $500 with the purchase of selected doors and windows products. Fix it, build it with new windows. You will enjoy it winter, spring, into summer at Dixie Line Lumber. We move on to the second half of our Tuesday bonus podcast, All Things Football. Let's flip it. Let's talk baseball, John. Yeah, are the Padres really thinking about trading some of these guys, Hassan Kim and Jake Corona? These rumors are out there. They're not done dealing because they have holes in their lineup. I don't think they have a lot of money left, which is why they have really not been active aside from signing the two Japanese free agent relief pitchers. I don't like this this rumor. Hassan Kim to Miami. One rumor has them expressing real interest in Jazz Chisholm, second baseman, center fielder, very affordable contract, two more years of control under him. Kim is in the final year of his contract, proven major leaguer, gold glove type personality, bit of a firebrand leader. As much as Chisholm was an athlete, I like Kim. This, to me, would be a damn salary dump if you did it. Mm. The other rumor out there is Cronenworth continues to be shopped. I don't think anybody wants to touch a $10 million a year contract for a guy that's had two downcycled seasons, including hitting two twenty eight. Now, he can play a ton of different positions. And there's a third rumor out there that the Padres, aside from Chisholm, really have interest in Luis Arias, the, the big, mm. free-swinging, 300-hitting bat only thing is, price tag on his salary is 12 mil. I don't see how there's any way the Padres could make any type of deal to get him. And then you're, then you're facing down road free agency as his price tag continues to go up. They're not ready for spring training. Granted, spring training is about 30 days away, but they still have no left fielder. They have no center fielder at this point. And to me, they're still shy of at least one established starting pitcher in the rotation. So, John, would you trade Kim? Would you shop Cronenworth and have to pay money to get Cronenworth out of here? Or you're willing to keep him here 
and hope you can keep Kim long-term and get Cronenworth fixed? And what do you think about the Miami guys? Well, wouldn't, wouldn't the fans just be so upset if Hassan Kim was traded, even Drake, Jake Cronenworth? And I'll bet you Rob Manford is secretly hoping the Padres don't trade Kim since they opened the season in Korea yeah. against the Dodgers. Imagine if he wasn't on the roster then. Jazz Chisholm sounds interesting, but to me, Hassan Kim is definitely a guy that you can count on more than Chisholm, even though Chisholm was on the cover of what what was it, the MLB video game. So I don't know. I mean, they need, yeah, you're right. They have holes in left, they have hole in center. But if you're going to go straight up Kim for Chisholm, I think the Padres are going to get ruined by that deal. Well, there's also a rumor that Jesus Lozardo, one of the extra starting pitchers in Miami, might be part of a package. But you're still dealing away something really established in Hassan Kim and something that was solid in Cronenworth. And I just can't get away out of my mind the word salary dump if you do that. Yeah, well, I think that's especially Cronenworth. Uh, But, you know, the Luis Arias is an interesting guy to talk about as well. But, you know, the guy is like a Tony Gwynn of the modern day. But... You know, we don't need another second baseman. <laughs> We've got so many infielders already. So that trade, that that target doesn't make sense to me unless they really radically m- change the roster. Padres need to do something for sure. But a- AJ is plotting. He's cooking up something. Just wait. It's coming. I think you're the only guy in the 619-858 area code giving him a vote of confidence right now. Yeah, well, I, I, I think he's got something cooking. Okay, we go from baseball. Let's move on. We're going to talk hoops. Oh, Aztecs Lobos, man, that was just a beatdown. I'm still feeling the pain. Lots of ways to view this. Bad blowout, bad reaction in the community, belly aching in the media, please. You know, two full columns in the Union Tribune, crybaby columns about the refs in the Aztec-New <laughs> Mexico game. Please explain to me what the referees had to do with 22 San Diego State turnovers, 14 Lobo block shots, Jason Ledee going two baskets for 29 minutes. New Mexico had runs of 17-0 and 11-2. And the Aztecs are out-rebounded 47-37. And that's on the refs? Come on. Let's understand the pit tough venue. That stuff happens. The Lobo pushed the tempo all night. Lobos kind of pushed the envelope in terms of excitement to rile the crowd. I don't buy the theory the refs were intimidated by the people in the pit. <laughs> I view this strictly as a one-off loss They got ambushed. Now, they got to come back. They got Nevada. They got Boise State. Winnable games. I think San Diego State comes back and plays with much more focus and intensity. Of course, playing at home at Viejas is different. But all these crybaby columns about the refs and their (laughs) names and how they were ranked. Nobody gives a crap. And I like those guys that, that cover the Aztecs for the UT. But this was a reach too far. John Raleigh says, well, Mark Ziegler, you've noticed that in a lot of his columns, he'll talk about which refs were in the game. And it's like he always has like at least a paragraph devoted to the refs. So it's an interesting angle. But when you start blaming refs, I mean, that's a bad look. I mean, the the fact is, is the Aztecs got just 
out-muscled, out-Aztec. And you look at Jalen House and the way he played defense, kind of made me wonder what they were serving in the locker room for the Lobos. That dude was like on, you know, maximum energy for the whole game. It's like the dude was psyched up and playing aggressive and they just outdid the Aztecs. But there, it was a physical game and it was surprising that Ladie wasn't on the line. You could say there were some issues going on with the rest, but you can't blame them. No, not at all. Aztecs got a taste of their own medicine. Big time. Lobos reached and grabbed and poked and bodied and that's San Diego State basketball, and it was never, ever a response from SDSU. But I view it as a one-off. Okay. So well. We'll, we'll see what this week brings <laughs> at San Diego State. Go from that basketball team to the next basketball team. The Los Angeles Lakers. It looks like uh, trouble brewing. Uh, they're not playing real well. They're 6-12 and 12 in their last 18. Haven't done anything since they won the NBA Cup. Your favorite tournament, midseason tournament. Hot rumor out of the Deep South that they're talking about a major trade with the Atlanta Hawks. Atlanta's in disarray. They just continue to move young prospects and people off the roster. Uh, the Lakers are having a lot of erratic performances. They've gone through 11 different starting lineups in 41 games this season. There's no continuity at all. Um, there is a rumor that they are talking to Atlanta about a deal for shooting guard DeJounte Murray. Kid used to play at the University of Washington. Hmm. Real talent. 6'5", slick, sleek athlete. He's averaging 21 per game. He's shooting 48% from the floor. They're shopping him because they don't think they can re-sign him once he becomes a free agent. You could pair him with D'Angelo Russell, with LeBron, with AD. Those guys are playing lots of minutes right now. It'd probably make you a better team. But the price tag supposedly is Austin Reeves and a future number one. And the Lakers don't have very many number ones left in the till through 2030. Um, they've been beset by injuries. Rui Hachimura has been hurt. Cam Reddish, Gabe Vincent has just never been the team that we expected. So I don't know whether this would be a panic move or this would be a move for the long-term future to add another firepower guy. What do you think about Javante Murray from Atlanta? Yeah, I, I don't really know that player that well. I, the thing that strikes me is is that the Lakers seem to be tinkering with all of their supporting cast, and they can't find the right chemistry to go with LeBron and AD. But maybe LeBron and AD are the problem. They, now, granted, they're putting up the numbers, but do you think that their leadership is maybe ruffling feathers and causing a problem in the locker room? I think what's causing a problem is you can't trust what you're calling upon to come off the bench and play. This this would be the third year in a row that Rob Polinka, the general manager, would do something radical to change everything. I mean, first it was the Westbrook-Carmelo Anthony acquisitions, mm -hmm. you know, and there was a trades last year that kind of fixed the chemistry of the roster and it played so well as they forged their way into the NBA West Finals. It's not the same team this year, and they made more changes, and what they brought in hasn't worked. What they brought in has all been dinged up, too. So it's just it's just weird. But if you, if you get a stud and Murray can stroke it and you get him, you have no future draft picks once LeBron and AD are at the finish line of their careers, maybe you're going for broke right now. I, tough, tough call. Yes. I mean, we'll keep an eye on this, but the Lakers, where are they slotted if, they, if the season ended today? I think they're in 10th place. Wow. And they take, how many do they take? Is, is it? Well, they'd make the playoffs, but... Oh, that's right. They go to 10, don't they? As erratic as they're playing, 
You really believe beside LeBron and AD, you can trust the rest of that roster in a best of five or best of seven yeah, series? Absolutely not. So that's where we are. One basketball story to the last basketball story. This is a weird story. Yeah, I, I heard a little bit about this with Jerry Krause, the fans in Chicago, huh? Uh, they did a Ring of Honor Hall of Fame ceremony. They invited a ton of people back in Chicago on the weekend. Michael Jordan, Dennis Rodman, Scottie Pippen, Steve Kerr, Phil Jackson. And they honored all these people at halftime with a really special ceremony. And when they got to the general manager, quote, the architect of the Chicago Bulls' great run, he has passed away. They booed the video of Jerry Krause. And then they booed Jerry Krause's widow when she came on the floor for the presentation. Oh, that's Steve Kerr went off on the Chicago fans after the game. Just mm. killed him. Phil Jackson was very critical. Now, there's a lingering memory. The Air Jordan era. What a phenomenal team. What an unbelievable player. Understand, Jerry Krause drafted Michael Jordan after Portland, which had the number one pick, refused to pick him because he had a fractured foot. Mm. And they thought it might become a chronic thing. Well, anything chronic about Jordan was his ability to score. Anyhow, Jerry Krause, when Jordan left Chicago to go to Washington, Jerry Krause made the bold statement, organizations win NBA championships, not players. <laughs> not that player. Come on now. And the criticism has just lingered forever in Chicago. So... I thought it was pretty classless of a Chicago fan to boo his widow after booing his video on the floor. And Steve Kerr just had a meltdown afterwards, and he probably won't be welcome back to Chicago either. But that's that's pretty – you would understand this word – tacky. For sure. You know, and you know, good on Steve Kerr. You know, he – is very outspoken. Oh yeah, you know, and he'll let it rip. So, but you know that that um, that series, The Last Dance, didn't do Jerry Krause any favors. No. You know, and it made him look like a bad guy. So I'm sure that's fueling some of this. But come on, booing the widow—that's like <laughs> the the Eagle fans booing Santa Claus. Bad bad view of fans in Chicago. Hey, time for us to get the fans form. Just a reminder: our Hacksaws headlines podcast on a. Tuesday bonus show brought to you by Dixon Line Lumber and Home Centers. Thinking windows need windows and doors for winter into spring? Think Dixie Line. And by North County Eye Center Poway Escondido. I've been there because I had eye problems. I am very pleased. You have eye issues. You need to talk to them. North County Eye Center Poway and Escondido. Ready? Set? <laughs> Go, John. Fans form. Okay, here we go. Let's go to John. Tampa beating Philly surprised me more than Green Bay beating Dallas. The only issue I had with Green Bay going in, how really young they were. Was the stage too big for Jordan Love and those three wide receivers? I couldn't believe my eyes how bad Dallas's secondary played. There were guys running open all night and how bad the tackling was. And I was stunned as electric as Dak Prescott has been through the second half of the season. He overshot guys. He looked tentative. It was like Green Bay did some things defensively they never, ever expected. So Tampa beating Philly, 
Philly had that thing jammed into reverse defensively, and Baker Mayfield has been red hot since the middle of the season. He's got 32 touchdown passes now. So I, I guess I wasn't shocked, and Jalen Hurts didn't have one receiver's running game has disappeared on him since about the middle of the season. So I, I could see Tampa possibly pulling an ambush there, but... Green Bay's kids winning in Dallas surprised me. Yeah, it surprised me too, but it made me really happy to see Dallas just get slammed again <laughs> and continue to choke and all the drama surrounding Jerry Jones. Um, but, you know, in the Tampa-Philly game, I kept thinking Philly was going to figure it out. They were going to regress back to the mean and end that one and six skid. But, you know, while I rooted for Baker Mayfield, my mind said they're going to figure it out, the Eagles, but they never did. Especially in the back end. They were really poor, too. Okay, next question. Okay, let's go here to Roberto. And he says, do you really believe Jim Harbaugh to the Chargers? They interviewed him for four-plus hours yesterday. Uh, He is the only one that has had a face-to-face interview. All the other coaches, including four African-American assistants, all interviewed on Zoom because the NFL now has a different calendar as to when you can actually start to meet face-to-face with guys. So the Chargers have done everything under the league guideline. They've interviewed hot coordinators. They've interviewed minority coordinators. So now they've signed off on the Rooney Rule, and they interviewed Harbaugh. Now, I believe Harbaugh is going to be in Las Vegas for a face-to-face maybe before the end of the week with Mark Davis. We'll see if anybody else takes a run at Harbaugh. Harbaugh is continuing to negotiate with Michigan. Let me throw this at you because I got this from somebody in the Big Ten. There's there's a rumbling out there that Harbaugh is enthralled with staying in Ann Arbor at 12.5 mil. Harbaugh wants, get this, an immunity clause put into his contract. He must be a trumper. (laughs) I think so. (laughs) Harbaugh wants an immunity clause that if the NCAA cracks down on Michigan for the COVID violations and nails them, the NCAA cannot force him to be fired. Now, I don't know that Michigan, does Michigan go to the Supreme Court? Michigan is going to say, we follow NCAA rules, we're not going to follow that rule. So I don't know if the immunity clause has any validity at all. But that's that's rumor out of Ann Arbor that that is part of the talks. And I don't know how Michigan can give that to him. So what do you think is going to happen to Harbaugh? Well, you know, everything says the Chargers make sense, but I think Pete Carroll going there could be a good move as well. You know, it's just, it's interesting, by the way, I look at your best 15 in sports every every day, and you could see the laundry list of all the players that are going through the interview process. And there's a lot of them that are cycling through. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, Harbaugh makes sense. But this whole thing, yeah, immunity? You you know, the law doesn't apply to me. You know, it sounds like what we're hearing in politics. So it's nuts. Um, I can't imagine Michigan agreeing to that deal because you have to have a third group. The NCAA would have to be part of that negotiation. And there's no way they're going to give Harbaugh immunity. He might stay at Ann Arbor, but he might go to the Chargers. And the fact that they've interviewed, I think it's eight, eight assistants now, Mm -hmm. plus the face-to-face with Harbaugh. Leads me to believe it might be his job if he wants, if if they don't remove dad, thanks for the job, John Spanos, <laughs> as the president of football operations, because Harbaugh wants the freedom to bring his own people in and layer them in the player personnel department. And is, thanks, dad, going to agree to that? 
Well, I think Thanks Dad might become a figure figurehead, and that would be better for the Chargers. Okay, carry on. Carry on. Let's go to 4RXLA. Hey, LA Kings are 1-8 in 2024. What is your opinion as to how they're going to play in the second half? It's hard to believe with all that firepower up front, they're not blowing people out. It's also hard to believe. Get this, LA. He's, they have a better road record than they have at home ice. It's phenomenal. Weird. I think that I think the Kings have thirteen wins on the road, and they have only seven or eight wins at home. You know, we we talked in the summer when they made the trade for Pierre Luc Dubois to come from Winnipeg, and that huge deal that this is going to put him over the top. Outside of the first week of the season, he hadn't done anything. I think he's got eight goals right mm. now. Eight goals in half a season, making eight million per year. I talked to guys in Winnipeg. I said, "Do you want him back? Can you take him back?" Because <laughs> he is really underachieved. It's just they're just not scoring on a consistent basis. Awful lot of pressure on Cam Talbert, a journeyman goalie. They lost the other goalie, the hot young minor leaguer Phoenix Copley. He's gone for the year with surgery. It's just. They're just not a complete team. Now, they're still in the upper echelon of the Pacific Division because of the great start, but we'll see if they turn the corner. they got to turn the corner. This, if this isn't a deep run in the postseason in May and June, I'm going to be upset. Rob Blake's going to be upset. Doesn't this feel like the Philadelphia Eagles? Yeah. You know, getting off to that great start and now going through this terrible slump. So I don't know what to expect here. But just to switch gears a little, I saw in the best 15 that Connor Bedard is coming back. He's right? just started practicing. Or excuse me, not Bedard, the the, the Ducks player. Oh, uh, Leo Carlson. Leo Carlson, back. excuse he me. He got activated. They're both back. Mm-hmm. Uh, Connor Bedard, the number one pick in the draft, is practicing with special face gear to protect the fractured jaw. I don't think he's ready to go back in game action yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, Leo Carlson was just activated yesterday. Ducks Ducks are on a long road trip. And, you know, he's probably as, as good a rookie as there is his first year in the NHL. I think he scored eight goals before he went down with kind of a fluke sprained knee. He is now back on the ice and probably will play once they come off this road trip at home. Right on. Moving on. Let's go to Dale. Uh, despite the loss, McVeigh is the coach of the year, took a team with tons of rookies and made playoffs when preseason picked him in the bottom five. Concur, but the guy in Houston, I think, has to be the coach of the year. What D'Amico Ryans has done with a rookie quarterback and a bunch of street free agents, that's pretty impressive. You look at every one of their skill guys. Nobody knew who some of these guys were, the Nico Collinses of the world. And I knew who Devin Singletary was, but he had done nothing in Buffalo. And these guys are having mystical seasons with the kid quarterback. And then they just plugged in. All all these free agents have done just a great, great job. So as, as cool as McVeigh's bounce-back season was, D'Amico Ryan's team has got 11 wins, and they're still playing next week, and that's amazing. Well, I, I think Steve actually saw this one coming. He said, I think D'Amico Ryan's has done um, with the Texas is very impressive. So everyone recognizes that. I mean, it's incredible what they've accomplished there in Houston, who's been football-starved in the NFL for so long. And they've, they've lost now two of their top three wide receivers because Noah Brown just went down with a shoulder injury last week. Surgery, he's gone for the year. They had a tank dead who would had been a starter and had a good first half of the season uh, opposite Nico Collins. Tank Dell left at midseason with surgery, not coming back now. Noah Brown's not coming back. So they're kind of running out of players. Yeah, well, and it seems like that's a common theme, all these injuries. Most part. Okay, moving on. Let's go to Tom. 
He says, Dallas didn't choke. They got blown out. Even the Chargers didn't ever get blown out when favored. They would choke and somehow lose when they shouldn't have. Not sure what is worse. I wonder what Jerry Jones does. You know, he is not young. I mean, you look at him close up. He does not look to be in really good health. Mm-hmm. And he's tried so hard. I, he's one of the great owners in the league. You may not like the persona. You may not like the all the stuff that comes with being in Big D. Look at the player personnel acquisitions. They've done a really good job. How good an organization is Dallas? Will Clay, who's the director of player personnel, supposed to interview for all the GM jobs in the league, took his name out of the hopper. He's going to stay. Hmm. He's going to continue to work for Jerry Jones. He might well be the general manager of the future going forward, or maybe actually the player personnel decision maker. Uh, but yeah, Dallas just just got ambushed. And we'll just have to see whether Mike McCarthy survives it. I think he does because Jerry's history is to be very patient with guys. Well, I don't know. I mean, you know, they. Yeah, it's interesting how after the game, they interviewed Jerry Jones in front of the locker room and all the media is around him. And he said it was the biggest shock that he's ever experienced in his whole football career. And I kind of concur. And they didn't look like they were ready to play, like they were amped to play. Right. How do you not come out at home and play with an edge to your game? And it just, I mean, it was a shocker to me. I just shook my head and said, how is this possible? Yeah, and, and Dak Prescott didn't look very impressive. He was off target a lot. I mean, he gotten into a little bit of a chirping with C.D. Lamb, I remember, in one of the parts of the game. Well, Lamb got taken out of the game emotionally very early. I mean, they played with Lamb's mind. Yeah, the whole thing was just a cluster for the Cowboys. On we go. On we go. Let's go to Gary. He says, Kim is about the only guy that shows up every day. Are they, the Padres, nuts? I hate to think of this as a salary dump because that's a really bad message to all the people that bought season ticket holders. <laughs> uh, that, that that that's a big issue. Um, you know, they, they've got a, a financial issue this year. They're going to have a financial issue next year because this TV money thing is a big storyline there. Not mm. having sixty million per season in TV revenue, which is why this payroll is going down under two hundred now. But that's a really good player. Why don't you keep them, see if you stay in the pennant race for the whole season, see if all the other big money guys have bounce back seasons and you can keep your two veteran pitchers healthy. Uh, but it sure looks like an $8 million salary dump to me, and you got the Cronenworth $10 million contract you might be trying to move. That's a bad sign, unless I'm reading the tea leaves differently, but I'd... I have this strange intuition about how they do their business. Well, things have changed without Peter Seidler. Exactly. You know, so there's a new guy running the ship. So he's a business guy. So he's probably looking at the bottom line numbers. And the bottom line includes, by the way, you owe Rob Manfred $40 million luxury tax bill. <laughs> that's right. That, that's due in January 21st. But yeah, trading Hassan Kim would be a punch in the nose to the fan base. I agree. Carry on here. Carrying on. Let's go to Lawrence here. He says, great to see you both. The Padres need to be careful about any moves, especially if they become a triple-A ball club again. They'll have crazy attendance again. We already have triple-A team in the Las Vegas A's. Well, they're not going to be a triple-A team because they've got all these high-moneyed veteran guys that are going to probably have bounce-back seasons. But sadly, what division are they in, John? Yeah, the, the National NLS. League West. Yeah. Who's in the National League West? Yeah, the LA Dodgers. Look what happened. So this is this is going to be a challenge. I will tell you that they've got a load 
of kids in the farm system, all of them at Rookie League A or AA. I don't know that very many of them are ready for Major League Baseball anytime in 2024, but a year from now, we'll be talking probably about three or four of these guys ready to make the jump if they have a good season when they make the jump into double A or maybe even going to triple A El Paso. But that's that's a year down road. But I think they're gonna fast forward guys like Jackson Merrill. I mean, they've got holes, they've got young guys, they're gonna make the major league minimum. That might be the formula. But what happens if you fast forward Jackson Merrill or you even push the envelope on Ethan Salas and they come up here and hit one forty four? Because they're not ready. That's not good. Well, they're not going to do that with Salas yet. I mean, they got Campusano with a lot of Correct. upside. But Merrill is a guy that can p- plug some holes. He, they, you can put him in the outfield. You can move some guys around. And, and, you know, he's a shortstop. He's versatile. Fire us a question on Fans Forum. John, where do you want to go next? Okay, let's go to Manny. Another Padre comment. He has Padre fans. Who is the undisputed leader of the San Diego clubhouse? With Soto gone, is it Manny or Tatis? Mike Schilt. Aha. Pure exclamation point. My team, my dugout, my clubhouse, this is how we're going to do it. He's a roster builder. He's a chemistry builder. You know, I, I took part in two of his press conferences. Very impressed with his sales pitch and his ideology. And by the way, there's a track record resume there that's pretty doggone impressive. And I think based on how bad it was with Bob Melvin, whether it was top level interference down below, or the players just not listening to them because, see my paycheck? I don't have to listen to you. Look at the back of my bloopin' baseball card. <laughs> I think it'll be different this year because there's a bitter taste in everybody's mouth. And so I, I think these players will respond differently because Mike Schilt is going to mandate they respond differently. It'd be fabulous to see what this focus is going to be like. But who's the leader? The manager. Yeah, Schilt so far, it looks promising. But you still need leaders amongst the players. Mm-hmm. And you remember like when they got they signed Will Myers to be a leader, and that was a, a disaster. Questionable if Machado is that guy. Tatis certainly isn't. He's too young. Um, Musgrove certainly on the pitching staff can be that guy. But that's a pitcher, and you normally don't get leadership from a, quote, pitcher. So it really is incumbent on Manny to be the man. And sometimes you people still think he's a bad chemistry problem. What's your take on that? I think Manny is a really good player. I think the game comes really easy to him. But is Manny a loud voice in the clubhouse? Times I've been down there, no, I don't sense that at all. Um, he he really had a substandard season because he got dinged, and now he's got the surgery. And he's he might not be there opening day at third base. Maybe he's your DH, or maybe he even winds up being a first baseman. But I don't think they got a persona leader in the clubhouse that's going to say, this is the guy who picks up the flag, follow me. Well, that was Nelson Cruz. That, or at least that was, well, was supposed, supposed to be. To be no, no can do when you hit 181. Yeah, no doubt. Okay, moving on. Let's go here uh, to Callan Max Sports. He says, what will happen with the non-football programs at Oregon State and Washington State after the two-year alliance with the West Coast Conference? Well, remember, everything has been couched in a two-year agreement. This this big money deal, the scheduling alliance in Mountain West football, the two-year West Coast Conference alliance, by the end of 2025, there will be something new on the West Coast, whether it's the entire Mountain West going there or whether it's the top six being bought 
out of the Mountain West to join. There will be a new conference, and then I think whatever those schools will be, there will be eight. There has to be eight now because the NCAA just reconfirmed you will not be considered for the postseason college football playoffs unless you're an eight-team conference effective in 2026. Mm -hmm. So there will be at least eight in the conference, and that eight would then encompass basketball, would encompass baseball and all the other Olympic sports. Yeah, I mean, that's the right thing to do, you know, and then they're all, it's still somewhat regional. I think that makes a lot of sense. Okay. Let's go here to some social media comments and let's go here. This is talking about the coach. This is from Buddy. He says, Coach Kintera has forgotten more about sports than Ben and Woods will ever know. Coach wasn't an A.J. Preller sycophant apologist like Ben Woods. He would point out the retreads. A.J. Preller signed for 2023. Adam Engel, David Dahl, Ben Gamble, Brandon Dixon, 43-year-old Nelson Cruz, Matt Carpenter, Rufnet Odor, Rich Hill, and Fat Man Choi. You, you want to borrow the pen sign his memo? <laughs> I agree wholeheartedly. Uh, and it's not to say that AJ hasn't done a good job in terms of bidding and, and signing international free agents, overpaying for everybody. He's done a good job in that area. But at the end of the day, the scoreboard does not lie. If you're failing, failing to go deep in the playoffs, I mean— as much as I like A.J., back of his baseball card says we've had three months of really good baseball. Two years ago, when we forged our way into the playoffs, electrified the community, and beat the Dodgers. So that's three months out of nine years. Yeah, exactly. Is that a big accomplishment? Everybody in the media does their job the way they think the job should be done. Hacksaw has opinions. Coach has opinions. The morning show at the fan does what they are told to do or what they think is important, which is not my cup of tea. The beat writers are really cool guys. You know, Kevin Acey wrote a phenomenal volume piece on Mike Schilt hmm. in the UT the other day. Jeff Sanders does a great job with the minor leagues. AJ Cassival, MLB.com. Dennis Lynn really got insiders' viewpoints on things in the athletics. So, all the guys in the media come at it from a very, very different angle. But I'm entitled to my opinion, and I raise my hand when I express an opinion, and the coach did too. And so we'll see what this year's like. But I'm sorry. My scoreboard says, back of his baseball card, Preller's baseball card, three months of great baseball in nine years. If I'm wrong, you can email me, go to my website. My email address is on the website. Feel free to pile on. But don't argue with me because I'm a talk show host. I know what I'm talking about. John responds. Well, there's just Preller has made more good deals than bad. And a lot of times, you know, he signs these players like Soto and they have a down year or they're sputtering. So, I, you know, I still have faith in Preller. But I want to talk about the coach because it's a common response in social media that a lot of people would love to see the coach as a guest on that Lee Hacksaw Hamilton podcast. We're working on that. And John has an offer to come be part of this, co-host it, fix this freaking thing. And uh, he said he will as he tries to get it into his schedule. Let's do one more social media before we put a lid on this. Before we put a lid on it, let's go here and talk a little bit about the Chargers and Pete Carroll. And this is from Jackie. He says, grown up just outside L.A., been a Seahawks fan since Pete left SC. If Pete goes to the Chargers, he will rekindle an L.A. fan base to support the Chargers. If they choose Harbaugh, I will become a Rams fan, no question. Well, there's Pete's accomplishments in the NFL, which are absolutely phenomenal. 
I mean, he walked into a Seattle situation. I, I had done the Seahawks for a couple of years during the Holmgren era, and they had a great run, and then things changed, and, and Mike left and went to Cleveland, and Pete came on board, and boy, what an, what an accomplishment he did. He still got fire in his gut. He's the only 72-year-old I know that is is really 52 years at heart. Incredible. And his work or ethic is just absolutely phenomenal. So I don't think they can go wrong with either one of those. I think Harbaugh obviously accomplished a lot in San Francisco. He's accomplished amazing things in Michigan. But I'm a Pete Carroll fan, too. I'll be fascinated to see who they wind up with. And if they don't wind up with either one, then it's Spanos chargering again. You know, I'm starting to think more about Pete Carroll might be the better choice, because like you say, wherever Harbaugh goes, you know, there's a dust cloud and a lot of challenges and problems. But just sort of, you know, recreating that vibe, that Reggie Bush, Matt Leinart, SC vibe in the early part of this century, I think that could get the fan base fired up. And you got Justin Herbert. And what's what is stapled to Pete Carroll's driver's license? Defense, baby. Yeah, there you go. That's what they need. End of conversation. Hey, listen, we hope you have enjoyed our Tuesday bonus podcast brought to you by North County Eye Center, Poway and Escondido. We all need help with our eyes down road. Go where I went. North County Eye Center, Poway, Escondido. And by Dixie Line Lumber and Home Center. You need windows. You need doors. Winter is upon us. Do what John did. Go to Dixie Line Lumber and Home Center. John, have yourself a great afternoon. We will be back in here Thursday to preview preview NFL Divisional Series. Yeah, another great weekend of football coming up. And have yourself a great day. Thanks for joining us, as always, on Hacksaw's Headlines. Join us again for Hacksaw's Headlines on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. And find the audio version on your favorite podcast app. For more content, go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com.